Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. And welcome to heaven. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I'm so secret, even the Japanese don't know about me. Moving on, and with 8-bit no parity with one stop bit, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 5th of October 1995. FIFA 95 returns to the top of the console charts once again. Apollo 13 is still top of the box office, But we've got a new number one at the top of the pops with Fairground by Simply Red. It's not the first time we've talked about Simply Red, but it is our first Simply Red number one. Because I, you know, in a bit that hopefully Luke will have cut out, I thought, no, this is our second number one. But it was it. But it wasn't. It is our first. I was thinking of Stars, which we did talk about because it's like it is Mick Hucknall. But it's also a pretty fucking good song. Yeah, it, I think Simply Red is one of those bands, we talked about it at the time, they were very much the punchline of the 90s because, you know, oh, Mick Hucknall's this and Mick Hucknall's that. In fact, actually, you know, even the new series of Nevermind the Buzzcocks that was on Sky had Mick Hucknall still as a punchline to some degree because Ellie Golding was very upset that Mick Hucknall was being used as a punchline. Really? Well, I think she really liked Simply Red and she really liked Mick Hucknall. So she was like, oh, let's not be mean about Mick. Uh, To be honest, I'm sure he will cry himself to sleep on the pillows full of money that he has. Oh, yeah. My mum loved Simply Red. My mum too. It was a mum band. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not, Not to knock that either, because as you said, Mick Hucknall made a lot of money off the back of that. I mean, yeah, to be fair, got a good voice, had a string of good songs, a couple of good hits. Looks slightly like an inflated carrot top. What's not to love? Um, have we got anything that we want to say on Fairgrounds? Oh, I mean, the music video was Mick Hucknall showing off a little bit because he was kind of driving around singing at Blackpool Pleasure Beach and all that stuff. 
But one, they actually closed the pleasure beach to film it. And like all the people you see in it are mixed friends. And two, he's driving around in his Jaguar XK140. So yeah, I think he's fine. We have this for quite a while as well. This is number one for four weeks in our timeline. Wow, we're back to the big long hitters at this point. Because oh, yeah. also, the number one film is still Apollo 13. Have you watched it yet, Luke? I actually have watched it. I have watched it in the time between we last recorded and now. I watched it over the weekend. I had it on in the background whilst I was disassembling and assembling furniture. And it's held up really, really well. It's real good, right? It's uh, that, that launch sequence. Like I was reading an interview with Ron Howard where he said it's the best thing he's ever directed. And it's really good. That launch sequence is amazing. There's a lot of space movies from the 90s. Some of them accurate, some of them not. Some of them have held up well. Some of them haven't. This is one of the ones that has. And I think it's because it had so much historical data to refer to that it pays off. It's not 100% historically accurate. There are some timeline changes. There are a few things that didn't quite happen the way they happened. Um, it, look, it's, rep- it's presenting itself as a dramatization, not a documentary. That's, exactly. that's always my argument. It's like, if you wanted 100% factual accuracy, there's actually some amazing stuff about the Apollo missions. Uh, there was one I watched, I think, during lockdown, which is all told through archival footage. Yeah, I think it can still be found out there on Netflix and a few other places. It's called Apollo 11. That's just the title. And everything in there is archival footage, including 70 millimeter film that had never been made public before. And there's no recreations. There's no narration. It is just the footage and the timeline. And my only complaint about it is I wish it had been longer. Now, I know we have differing opinions on lengths of movies, but for historical event as significant as Apollo 11, 93 minutes does not quite seem long enough. Yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah. Like, maybe do it as like a two-parter, like, um, like you know, split it up into a couple of episodes, like they did with the Beatles and Get Back. And uh, yeah, it is very good. Even that still take some liberties with the timeline of the mission but they haven't fictionalized anything they've just you know made it so the film flows and there are no lulls there's no attempt to rewrite history but i do heartily recommend that people check out apollo 11 and apollo 13 it's something i may do actually because when i was watching apollo 13 and i remembered this like i almost had like this this thing come back into my memory of like oh i remember this from the first time i watched it as well i didn't know the history of Apollo 13 in terms of the actual mission. So I didn't know whether they got to the moon or not, or what happened to them on the way back. So I remember at the time watching it and feeling gutted for them. Spoilers for this movie, by the way. Feeling gutted for them. Spoilers for history, (laughs) like 60 years ago or 50 years ago. I work in wrestling news media. I have to be I have to be wary with my spoiler tags. So I remember like thinking that I'm being gutted that they didn't get to the moon and then not knowing if they actually make it back all right. And I had the same thing watching it again. I couldn't remember if they got to the moon. And more importantly, I couldn't remember whether they got back okay. So I was actually on like the edge of my seat for quite a lot of it, particularly in the, the closing moments of the movie. And it's helped by the fact that everyone is on form. Hanks is on form. Paxton's on form. Bacon's on form. Sinise is on form. Harris is on form. Like it's a really great cast it's a really good script ron howard is a like he's he's a safe pair of hands director that's why they gave him the solo movie because disney were terrified of 
creative thoughts. So they were just given to Ron Howard because he will just make her movie. But like Howard shows here that he can also be a really, really good director. Can you imagine like you're thinking, we need a safe pair of hands to direct this movie. And it's like, we'll get Howard. And can you imagine if they accidentally call Clint? <laughs> I was going to say, there's a moment when you're watching Apollo 13 being like, I'm on Clint's watch here. When is he going to? Ah, there he is. Poor Clint, literally living in the shadow of his brother because his brother's taller. And the TV news, 1st of October, six years after it was originally planned, a British version of the Disney Channel launches in the UK, as does the Sci-Fi Channel. Space, the final frontier. This is the Starship Enterprise. No crew has ever gone so far in the name of adventure. Now, the greatest adventure unfolds. Battle stations. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Channel with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Hang on! Stardate tonight at 8pm. Welcome to the Edge. However, its full schedule, 8am to 2am, is only available to cable viewers, with satellite subscribers only able to see the channel for a few hours each day, as it shares transponder space with a number of other channels. I remember, Sai, I remember having friends with cable around this time in Cheltenham, and obviously when I started coming up to London, people had cable up here as well. That's where I saw the Sci-Fi Channel, that's where I saw Bravo for ECW, it's where I saw Mystery Science Theatre 3000 for the first time after a particularly successful party, where I was nursing a bit of a hangover, and um, yeah, turned on the TV, and there was Mystery Science Theatre 3000 on cable. And on October 2nd, one of the pivotal albums of the 90s is released, as Oasis release What's the Story Morning Glory. As we've been starting up Series 5, I've really begun to start looking at albums from late 94, 95, and also some of 96. And I'm thinking, some of these bands definitely died in the 90s, and that's fine. But holy hell, the albums are good. Like, I've had Oasis on, I've had the Manix on quite a bit, I just recently started to dip into Ocean Colour Scene, mostly Shoals. What an album! Every track's a banger. I've been on a bit of a similar kick because rather than watch TV when I'm, I'm taking the kid after I get back from work, we listen to albums together. And I'm kind of going through a list of like 90s albums that I haven't listened to in ages or I've never listened to before. And I put on Terrorvision Shaving Peaches the other day. And that is a cracking album. And, and not just for tequila, like wall to wall bangers on that album. What's the kid thinking of it? Uh, I, I don't think she's... I, I get the feeling she's more into Fleetwood Mac because she really responds to that. She responds to rumours a lot. Uh, but, you know, I, I think she'll get there eventually. I, I know. Fleetwood Mac is a solid foundation, Luke. You, you know, you could be doing a lot worse there, especially rumours. Exactly, yeah. Um, have we got anything in the magazine we want to do before we get into the episode? We do. We've got a bunch of stuff to cover in the magazine, but I'm just going to focus on one review for now because it is a review of a game that will become a landmark in real-time strategy. It's Command and Conquer for the PC CD-ROM. We are going to have to act if we want to live in a different world. Now, I didn't get into CNC until Red Alert. 
However, like I then went back and played the original Command and Conquer, and I, I mean, I'm pretty bad at real-time strategy games, but I had a, I really enjoyed Red Alert, and then really enjoyed going back and playing Command and Conquer. It's the music, it's the presentation, it's just the, the the fact that there are characters to it because you've got Nod versus GDI, and you've got Kane, and then you get the FMV stuff in there, and you know, sooner or later, you get Ric Flair because why not? And of course. Tim Curry. Luke, where's Tim Curry gonna go? Say the line, Bart! Space! Yeah! But the review starts. First and foremost, this is war. A global conflict between two opposing political factions for control of the world's emergent economies in Africa and Eastern Europe. The shady Nod group are undermining the world's governments by force for their own interests. The GDI government defence initiative are out to stop them again by force and you're in the hot seat of your choice. Now that's the first big thing. It's not just a case of, oh, you're fighting the bad guys. It's also a case of, hey, you can be a total dick if you wish. They say, they, they openly acknowledge where this game has come from by saying anybody who played Dune 2 will feel at home immediately. Command & Conquer is developed by Westwood Studios, the people behind the classic strategy action game, and they're obviously not ashamed to use ideas that have worked before. I mean, really, what this is, this is the next Dune, but without any of those awkward intellectual property things. The superbly balanced blend of action and strategy is still here, thankfully. What Dune 2 and Command & Conquer both do so well is take care of the boring stats without disrupting your feverish plotting. You can instruct your units to go anywhere you like, and they'll just go on their warmongering way, dealing with whatever comes up as best they can. What they'll never do is run away. If they come across enemy forces, both sides jump to the floor and start fighting. Again, your PC sorts it out. You can imagine the sort of dice throws it's making and turns it's taking, but you don't have to lift a finger or even watch. And that's very true. This is basically taking all the boring shit out of Risk. Mm, and there's a lot of boring shit in Risk as well. Come at us, Risk fans. But they then go into the more strategic part of it, which is essentially SimCity. It's kind of building your bases, building your resources, turning out more tanks, more soldiers, more weapons. Apart from some improvements on the landscapes and units of Dune 2, most of Westwood's time seems to have been spent producing some incredibly swish intro sequences and cutscenes. Normally, that's exactly the sort of thing we'd quibble and moan about, but with an outstanding game already in place and considering the superb quality of these sections, we'll let it pass this time. Probably the best way to describe Command & Conquer is as a brilliant balance of cannon fodder, SimCity and, say, campaign. Not bad at all. Now... Let's get to the scores, because Command & Conquer is highly addictive, and the FMV sequences are great. But here we are, it's the world of 3D, and Command & Conquer oh, is still very much right, pixel yeah. and 2D. It is quite, it, it is not a, a pretty game. And we've seen this in the show, that these ideas, like we get it in sort of the Mortal Kombat 3 review, that, you know, this is a 2D fighting game in a 3D world. I wonder, I, I'm curious to see how the magazine treats this idea. So, graphics. I'll read you the little paragraph underneath, and then you see if you can guess where the score might sit. Tiny but pretty convincing during the game, avoiding the cartoon feel of cannon fodder. That doesn't seem too negative, so I'm going to say it's in the 80s. I'm going to go early, though. 81? No, you should have gone for the DeLorean. It was 88. Okay, nice. Sounds. Dodgy but lively CD tracks, plus effects that actually help you play and obliging grunts. Okay, that again feels like we're still in the 80s, but I'm going to stick in early 80s, but I'm going to go 82. 85. You're getting closer, though. You're getting closer. Gameplay. Add the fact that you can link up and fight to the strategy and you can't go wrong. 
because, of course, multiplayer is where Command & Conquer really comes alive. Yeah, this has got to be in the 90s. Uh, I'm thinking 94. 92. Ah, oh, you're over. Lifespan. It's big anyway, but the multiplayer network battle should keep you going for years. 95. 93. Arr. So overall, Command & Conquer takes the near-perfect blend of action and strategy that Dune 2 pioneered and allies it with some top-draw production values. Uh, I think this is a solid 90%. 92. You were just like 2% out either way on most of those, but that's still pretty good. I take that as a win. When you've got, the, when you've got a choice of 100 numbers, I take being two out of either one as a bit of a win for me. But we've got some other great reviews that we'll be looking at in here. We've got, some, uh, we've got Killer Instinct for the SNES reviewed, which I might take a look at next week. We've also got reviews of Demolition Man for the SNES. Moving on. We've also got <laughs> reviews of Mortal Kombat for the SNES and the Mega Drive. It's a big old bumper issue. You know, feeding the 5,000, parting the Red Sea and turning water into wine are all very cool. But for real competitive action, you can't beat a round of golf, a game which allows business blokes everywhere to pretend they're getting exercise. We'll be abusing this monstrously fine contraption later on, and in the second half of the show, things get less than light as we feature one of the biggest games of the year, Mortal Kombat 3 on the PlayStation. If I die before I wake, at least in heaven I can golf. Is almost sort of what Dom says now. I mean, actually, Dom's intro here is basically like, Jesus's accomplishments fail in comparison to a round of golf. And middle managers everywhere are like, yes, very well said. Yes, that is absolutely the point. But I did love the line of it lets people pretend they're getting exercise. Golf is good exercise, man. I stand by that. Uh, golf is good exercise if you walk the course. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you get in the buggy, then that's cheating. And if you pull your own clubs along and don't have basically a whelp to just kind of like drag everything along behind you and go yes sir very good sir yeah, i do enjoy a round of golf though i haven't played in many many years but i have very much enjoyed my time playing golf i have a golf course close by that i am thinking of signing up for oh there we go future ucp excursion because i i'm no you know i'm no stranger to the old sticks myself i was gonna say you were used to do it for school didn't you yeah it got me out of french <laughs> that's literally why i did it uh, we hype up that we've got Mortal Kombat 3 coming up in the second half of the show. But we have got a very cool golf challenge that is going to kick us off here today. Yeah, Gamesmaster has nicked a golf sim game that requires a rear projection screen, has the footprint of a caravan, and... Okay, I'm just going to put my cards on the table here. I could not find a lot about this specific golf sim. But they all, at this point, used mostly the same technology. So I've got some broad notes we'll get to later. But, but you know, it's... It, you know, this is not one of those ones where you're like, oh, this will be a fun thing to have at home. This is designed for <laughs> installations at golf clubs or, you know, specific sporting venues. The golf company that I used to work for, I say a golf company, a golf holiday company that I used to work for, has one of these now set up in their office. This is like before, like it was after my time there, like I had left and then they moved to a new office. And one of the things they installed in their new office was a golf simulator. And from what I can gather from my friends that still work there, it's pretty brilliant if you're massively into your golf. See, they're, they're, now golf simulators, that's one for the lazy person because it's like, I don't need to move at all. 
No, but it, it annoys me slightly because I used to do their video content and I was filming people like swinging golf clubs in the office to like so people can guess handicaps and that. It'd have been much nicer if I could have done it with an actual golf simulator. Yeah, it made your life much easier. Since our Tekken 2 event last week, arcades across the country have been heaving with copycats attempting to emulate the feats of our game crackers. But our guys are still the top. From playing Tekken a few times, um, I've actually discovered that you can actually get a hidden character. Um, you've got to press start three times and you've got to shift the joystick to the right and actually Bruce just appears. And the wimply named Bruce is so secret that even the Japanese don't know about him. So top work British cracking blokes. We do have some news first, however, and of course, it's Tekken 2. We spoke about it a lot last week, but everyone is now trying to emulate what the Game Crackers did on last week's episode. I'm, I'm sure they are. However, I love this that they have discovered a secret character so secret that not even those in the East know that they exist. I call bollocks. <laughs> yeah, I thought this as well. There's like, yeah, I, my exact note was actually Jimmy Hill. <laughs> yeah. I had almost the same note down. I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure that people do. I don't think that Mo uh, was the person to discover this and has sort of like broken the news to the rest of the world. He saw it in a magazine in that Japanese shop and then basically destroyed every other copy of that magazine so no one else in the country would see it. Mo probably discovered it or read about it in a magazine, then told Dave that he discovered it and then Dave Perry's going to be like, oh man, Mo's found out something that even the Japanese don't know about. But this hidden character, Bruce... This is his first appearance, but he also returned for Tekken Tag, Tekken 5, and he's also been, I think, in most of the releases since then. Um, he's a kickboxer and is kind of a dickhead, I guess. I think he's a heel. He's a heel. He's working okay. heel. And is part of Lei Wu Long's kind of storyline and arc. So that's how you kind of meet him to fight. He's kind of one of the bosses for Lei Wu Long in Tekken 2. And then after you've completed it, you can dabble in a code and boom he's playable i mean he was fully in tech n2 for the playstation 2 but then again as we talked about so were a lot of characters including a dinosaur and like a wooden doll if only we'd got that tekken movie with them in it it nearly happened everyone and it would have starred the rock and jet lee and jackie chan it nearly happens i mean there is still a way to do a gritty realistic tekken and have those characters in it and that is just have everyone take a lot of drugs and they trip balls that's it it's actually not too far off. There's, the way they were going to be in there is that they were experiments for the performance-enhancing drugs that uh, some of the uh, characters were using, the baddies in the, were using. The Sony PlayStation, released last Friday, has quite literally been bought by a lot of people. And the pandemonium set to reach fever pitch tomorrow when the new Cookie Stroke Retro ad campaign invades our screens. Here's an exclusive peak-type situation. Ash, you were one of these many people that have bought a PlayStation because bloody loads of people own one now. And now they're starting a brand new ad campaign. Yes, the Saps. The um the Society Against PlayStation. Hello, citizens of Europe. As spokesperson for SAPS, the Society Against PlayStation, I'd like to talk to you about a menace. Threatening humanity. It's happening right here, in our very homes, and corrupting the lives of our loved ones. Yes, friends, I'm talking about this. It may look like a harmless bagel toaster, but inside is a deadly donut. How do you know PlayStation is not a normal game system? It carries these telltale signs. Scientists say its effects are mind-boggling. Users lose all sense of reality and enter another world. 
Here we have a normal, healthy young man. And here we have a fellow who's been experimenting with PlayStation for only a few minutes. Proof that we saps must be on our guard. Remember, do not underestimate the power of PlayStation. I watched this advert actually in preparation for our PlayStation special that we did. And it is, you know, it, it's not aged greatly, but it is, I think there's still quite a bit of humour in there. Yeah, and it's also really smart because, as we've discussed, when the PlayStation launched here in the UK, it was at the Ministry of Sound, it was in nightclubs, you had Wipeout, you had the music culture, you had the link between gaming, dance music, and, to be blunt, recreational drug culture. Now, Sony could have gone one of two ways with this. They could have gone on the defensive and gone, no, 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 look, it's for everyone. Or they go on the offensive and take the piss out of it. And that's kind of what Saps was, because it's a spokesperson very much in the Mary Whitehouse kind of like, you know, public service role, warning parents about the power of PlayStation and just mocking the concerns about the effects of games on young impressionable minds and all that kind of stuff, which is still rattling around today. But by doing it, it made the PlayStation even more desirable and they kind of like took the piss out of it as we got closer to christmas it's just like you know why not get them a stick instead of a playstation a stick's far more fun than a playstation i think it's a really fun advert like i'll put the audio in for it so but i recommend that people go and watch the video version because there's a lot of visual gags in there that might get missed off in just the audio version rejoice punters you can now throw your arms erotically around games master 24 hours a day with our new worldwide website which goes online oh just about now you can get pictures and video clips from each week's show including extra info like how to pull off those tekken 2 moves from last week there's also major top game previews on all platforms type situations, up-to-date news on movies and technology, and a forum for your own views. As well as our website, you can dabble with our bulletin board on TVNet, where you can meet and chat with other people who don't get out much, and download demos of top PC games. To log on to TVNet, set your modem to 8 bits, no parity, one stop bit, and dial 0181 558 this week's PC demo is the strategic shoot 'em up worms with a 14 point for what it should take about 15 minutes to download. Now you know. And our last bit of news we've got here is Games Master is on the line with a little hyphen in between on and line. The new website is up. There's clips, there's tips on how to do moves on Tekken 2, there's even a forum. There's, as I've written in my notes here, a Butlins board. That's meant to be a, but a bulletin board. And for me, Ash, the big driver for this is you can download a demo, but not just any demo, it's a demo of worms. Ah, oh, Luke, did you have worms? Incoming, did I have worms. I absolutely... <laughs> did that one... sound better in your head? <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, it is, um, <laughs> not every joke lands. Uh, I, I absolutely loved Worms when it came out. In fact, Ash, you, we were talking just before we came on air, uh, in sort of life news for us, we both now have an Evercade VS off the back of the Games Master Series 8 push for it. And with that, I bought the Worms collection. So what games did I play yesterday when I first booted it up? Well, I played... Xeno Crisis and Tanglewood, because I've never played them before, and they're new games that are done in the sort of old style. Bloody hell, Xeno Crisis is hard, but Tanglewood is beautiful and very much fun. And then I played Worms, and I created Team UCP. So we have me, you, Dom, and the Games Master. Although, because of the character limitation, it is me, it's Luke, Ash versus 
Dom and Games Mast, but we uh, then beat the Games Mast is a very different <laughs> website, mate. <laughs> But the, we then beat the Ocean team in a friendly encounter where uh, Luke was crowned the most useful player and the most useless. Amazing. See, I'm looking forward to us being able to sit down and play this together because then we have Team Ash versus Team Luke. And I guess we kind of like have to do it like picking sides at school where maybe we have a pool mm. of people because we can't both have Dom. No, so no maybe, we can't. Oh, we put names in a hat and we draw them out. That's it. So we put all the hosts in. We put the games master in. We put Dave in there. And who we draw is who we have on our team. There we go. We sorted it. I like that a lot. I was going to go through, you know, like I, I do plan to do some streaming stuff with Worms, particularly because I thought like you can do uh, our UCP Discord as a team, our UCP moderating team, Golden Joystick winners as a team, because, you know, it's got a league in it. It's got a league system in it. So there's a lot of fun to be had with that. I had so, I, everything just came flooding back to me. And I'm pleased to report as well, it's just as easy to play with a D-pad as it is to play with a mouse, which I, which I was concerned about. <laughs> I mean, I already knew that because my first version of Worms was the PlayStation version, and that was pre-analog sticks as well. Yeah, I, I said to you on text, I've never played it without a mouse, so I didn't know what it was going to be like. But yeah, it's actually very simple to play uh, without a mouse. Dude, it's so good. It's such a fun little stupid game. Like, it's proper stupid. The worst thing they did with Worms as it went on is they tried to do too much. Yeah. They just deviated too far. I didn't mind the cartoony graphics, and actually the recent ones with the cartoony graphics, it's still a lot of fun. But Worms 3D, oh no, it was just a mistake. Yeah. But something I just want to say on this Games Master website, which, you know, for 1995 looks very much a standard website, doesn't half load quickly. And you know why it loads quickly? <laughs> why is that, Ash? Because if you look at the address bar in every single one of these pages, it doesn't say HTTP, it says file colon forward slash forward slash. <laughs> They're loading it off the hard disk. You cheating bastards. Probably because it wasn't online by the time they needed to film it. Yeah. Or... They knew they needed it to load quickly and they're like, we do not have time even on an ISDN line. Right, but that's enough chat about some news. Let's head on over to Games Master to find out what our actual first challenge is. Always on the lookout for new tests to my contestants, I was particularly pleased when I stumbled across this little beauty in a local fish and chip shop. Smart golf. Players use real clubs to hit a real ball against a massive touch-sensitive screen. Where the ball makes contact, a virtual ball takes over and flies according to how hard and in what direction the real ball was hit. It's just like real golf, except you don't need to wear silly clothes. Of the dozen courses on offer, I've chosen two holes from the testing British course, the Belfry. And my contestants must par them both. Now, I mean, we've already highlighted that we think there may have been a bit of a fib in that Tekken segment of, you know, this is such a hidden character, not even the East knows about this. Do you think Games Master might be telling a bit of a fib here that he found this in his local chippy? Mate, this is bigger than the entire chip shop down the road from where I grew up. You could yeah. fit the chip shop inside the golf sim yeah i think even if you moved uh the drinks cabinets from my local fish and chip shop you would not be able to get that in there i mean maybe maybe heaven has a lot of square footage available maybe all chip shops are huge there you know i mean we don't know what sort of friary the games master goes to to get his hands on a savaloy 
I'm pretty stoked for this. Like, you know, we saw this a little bit in Series 4 with Jimmy White playing a real snooker game against a computer. And we also had a golf challenge in Series 4 that was sort of similar to this, but this is like the next step in that evolution. And they are really, really selling it, especially as we get into the challenge. Like, the setup for this, they, they've done a lot of stuff bespoke for it. We're playing two real holes from the Belfry. It's like considered one of the best golf courses in the world. It's hosted the Ryder Cup on four different occasions, loads of European tour events. So there we go. You might have known about that from your previous job. In fact, I knew a lot about this course. In fact, actually, when this came up and it was at the Belfry, I already knew uh, quite a bit of facts about the Belfry. I have stayed at the Belfry, in fact, um, because working for a golf holiday provider, you get a lot of uh, perks like that. I've stayed at Celtic Manor a lot off the back of that as well, because we had very good relationships between Celtic Manor and the Belfry. When I first had my interview there, I wasn't a golf player. And I remember quite vividly speaking with the guy who was like i was he was interviewing me and he said you know like t he pointed to something on the wall a picture on the wall and he said to you that's a nice golf course but to me that's the 10th on the belfry and that means this and that means that and like there's certain holes that i have written about a lot over the years and the Belfry has got many of those, including the two that we are playing on this. The 10th and the 18th are the two most iconic holds of the PGA course. And I then fell down a rabbit hole of writing, of like researching a lot about the Belfry. And I was like trying to work out which holds they were on, which course they were on. And yeah, I've got, I've got quite a bit of notes about this. That's great. Although, man, I hope you did it in an incognito tab just for Googling about holes. Belfry holes. Not lately. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so we're playing on a golf simulator and essentially it's exactly what you think it is. It's a way of kind of using real golf clubs, real golf balls with a video game, essentially either photographically simulated or computer graphics simulated. Usually they're designed to be in an indoor setting. You can get a couple that are kind of done in combination with driving ranges nowadays. So they are kind of outside. It's a bit of a weird one. They've actually been around for a lot longer than even like where we see it now the first golfing simulators were around since the early 1970s although you know very very rudimentary at the time and mostly a mechanical basis but where we are now in the context of games master is an interesting one because a lot of them use kind of sensor mats infrared sensors all that kind of thing but as best as i can tell the system we're seeing here is based on sound waves because there is very much a case of you are twatting the ball at the screen and they say in the intro that actually it's where and when and how hard the ball hits the screen that dictates how the game interprets it which means that what you've got is it's a projection it's a rear projection setup the ball impacts there are microphones behind the screen and depending on where the impact is spatially and how loud it is that is then translated into information by the computer and that's what dictates where the ball goes and how it goes. It was done away with because one, it takes up a lot of space. Two, if you fart in the wrong direction, it could pick it up depending on how sensitive they are. But yeah, they used kind of a stereo set of mics, so X, Y, and sometimes two or three of them, like in those pairs, to kind of also get height and everything and different other things, depending on how advanced the machine was. But it's not used today because there are so many easier ways to do it. One big disadvantage of it being a rear projection system, particularly in a television studio, is Luke, you can see fuck all of this game unless they're actually capturing the video feed. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Like, you know, he is sort of like, it feels like he's being shot in darkness. 
And they, if it is like a sound-based thing, they would not have been able to do this through series one to four. They would have had, like, this being in a TV studio set means you can do this sort of challenge, but you wouldn't have been able to do this previously. Unfortunately, it being a TV studio set also causes the problems with the lighting. Basically, they've got it inside a gazebo. Yeah. Because, yeah, you, you could have this in, like, kind of a standard indoor room, like in a house, a big house or like an actual in a golf club because then it's just overhead fluorescence maybe you turn the lights off and just have natural light from the windows it's fine but studio lighting perversely this would have been fine in the church the games rig possibly even hell or the games academy but here under proper studio lights in heaven it's not it's not working out well but i'm glad they got direct video capture feed because it saved this challenge 100% that and the trappings they did around it because also this is a long challenge which we're seeing a lot of in series five and uh, the interview that we're just going to get to in a second it, it really reminds me of that chat that we had with dominic where it was like wanting to spend time actually interviewing people and not just having 90 seconds with take that where you're trying to interview five lads within a short space of time um yeah yeah i'm also glad that we got the video feed for this because without it I've just got to take their word for it that he's actually swinging that club and actually hitting a ball against that screen because I can sort of hear it, but I'm I'm just going to take their word for it that it's not bobbins. Now, we've decided it's a bit easy to have sports blokes on actually playing their own sport. So for this golfing event, please welcome the greatest snooker player in the history of the Green Bays, the man who's won the world title a record 134 times, Stephen Henry. Okay, Stephen, basically, you're too good at snooker, right? No one in the world can beat you, but you do play golf as well, don't you? I play golf in the summer, yeah, when there's no snooker. What's your handicap? 12. 12 handicap. Have you ever thought of taking that up professionally? No, no, no way. I'm not good enough. Not not others, any other sports you're going to try Um, and no, no, that's, uh, the, the snooker takes up all my time at the moment and golf, as I say, I play in the summer when there's, there's no snooker. When you, when you are playing at the Crucible, I've often wondered, right, you're there, it's all very quiet and everything when you go to take your shots. Mm. What happens if you need to break wind? I just do it. You're like kind of <laughs> quite, quite a loose, quiet one then. You kind of let go there. Uh, how much money do you have as well? I've often oh, wondered. millions. You have positive oh, stuff, absolutely. don't you? <laughs> That's great, because most people come on and you ask them and they're all saying, oh, well, I don't get paid that much money, but you do. I'm loaded. Tons. <laughs> That's fantastic. And uh, the final thing is, right, obviously, you exploded on the snooker scene. No one has been able to touch you for years. The question everyone wants to know is, when you're wearing the waistcoat and the nice tight black trousers, are you wearing a boxer or a pant underneath that? I never knew you noticed. What is that? The trousers were nice and tight. I've, I've seen a couple of lines there, Stephen, and I've often been intrigued. What do you wear underneath? Uh, I wear boxers myself. You wear a boxer yourself. Yeah. Is, that, is, that, is that a general thing within the snooker world? No, I don't know. You'd have to ask them. You don't really get we don't get changed in front of each other. No, it's not that. It's, not, like that. it's not a big locker room atmosphere no. there. No, it's all individual. Yeah. But we've got the game. We know about the holes, and I'm sure you're going to fill those holes in as we mm-hmm. go along. And Dom thinks that having a golfer on to play this game would be boring. He'd be f***ing right. <laughs> it's more fun to mix and match. So please welcome to heaven, top Scott ball fondler, Stephen Hendry. I like this a lot. Having someone who isn't a, a golf expert coming in to play this challenge. You know, he's a snooker guy. Dom likes him. He's Scottish. I think this is a much better way of doing it than just having, say, a top golfer come in and, and, and play the game. Although, to be fair, Stephen has a 12 handicap. And that so handicap actually gets better as time goes on. I think if you look at his Wikipedia page, it says that he has a single-figure golf handicap, so he definitely gets better. Which makes him one of those annoying people, then, where they're just really good at a lot of things. Like Kurt Hennig. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, because you know he is a really he's an excellent snooker player, one of the world's best at this point. And oh yeah, I mean, I just play golf in my spare time, but I'm also amazing at golf. Like you know, he could go pro if he wanted to, but he'd rather not. Yeah. Besides, he doesn't have time, Luke. Snooker is where it's at. But Dom gets straight in there with two of the most important questions: What happens if you're at the crucible and you need to fart? And the answer is an amazingly simple: You just do it. Yeah, just let rip. And because this is series five, Dom is also concerned with how much people are making. Yeah, and he just goes, like, how much cash do you have? And some people, as Dom does point out, just go, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I make enough. I get by. And Henry's like, no, mate, I'm minted. I am absolutely fucking loaded. I sleep on a beanbag full of £20 notes. I have so much cash. It's ridiculous. And the thing is, he's right. He's earned enough bank. It would be impossible for him to deny it because we know what the cash prizes are for snooker tournaments because they often say they have the big novelty checks that are presented at the end. They're sponsorship deals. It's even more ludicrous now for some of them. But yeah, he's made a good amount of money. And because this is series five, Dom's final question is about pants. Now, this is that thing again, like, you know, I mentioned the interview we did with Dom earlier, where it was like, man, I look back at series two, and I can't believe that, you know, we had spent 90 seconds interviewing Take That, one of the biggest bands at the time, one of the biggest guests that we could have got, because we had to, you know, take out, had to put the consultation zone in there so some kid can get a cheat on Sonic 2 or what have you, and that's a a complete waste of TV time. So for series five, we've done away with the consultation zone so Dom can focus on the interviews, and his questions are fucking shit because his interviews are a joke. And that's grand, and I don't mind it, but it is like, you know, Dom, you can't have it both ways, mate. I mean, would I rather see him ask a world-class snooker player about his underwear choice, or would I rather see a kid getting advice on Mortal Kombat 3? Honestly, I think I'd rather hear what kind of pants Stephen Hendry wears. I'm in agreement with you. It really made me laugh when I was, you know, we did that interview with Dom and then I'm like, okay, we're going to get to like serious interviews, I guess, because Tom Dom wants to show to other TV executives that he can do this as a, you know, as a serious broadcaster. And now he just wants to ask about what pants are you wearing? Oh, and by the way, how much money do you make? It's great. It's really good because it's the complete counterculture thing that they're going for. But a little bit about Hendry, a Scottish professional snooker player. He's currently a commentator for the BBC and ITV. He was considered one of the sport's most accomplished players, dominated snooker in the 90s. He won the World Snooker Championship seven times, surpassing the record of six that was previously held by both Ray Reardon and Steve Davis, and was also snooker's youngest world champion, having won his first world title at age 21. He also won the Masters title six times, five UK championships for 18 Triple Crown tournament wins, a total only surpassed by Ronnie O'Sullivan, who hit 20. This guy, yeah, he's bloody Kurt Hennig. He's Mr. Perfect. He can just do it all. Yeah, he is one of like the all-time greats in the sport. Oh, wait, no, there's one thing he can't do. Uh, He can't pay his taxes. Ash, sometimes when you make this much money and you're sleeping on it, you forget what you've got. Well, in August 2011, HM Revenue and Customs applied to Glasgow Sheriff Court to liquidate the assets of Stephen Hendry Snooker Limited, the company set up to manage Hendry's sponsorships and promotions following its failure to pay an £85,000 tax bill. Why is it that f***ing rich people can't pay taxes? It's not hard. I do it. Yeah, I do it. It's it's like if, if you know if it was like America where everyone, regardless of whether you're employed or not, has to file their taxes manually. I mean, that's an arsake. If you're self-employed, just hire an accountant. They're not that expensive. I used to hire one when I was self-employed. Or even if you decide to do it yourself, 
mean, I mean, okay, maybe I'm not like a multinational title winning snooker player, but you know, you just keep your receipts in a box and you do your paperwork and then you turn it into an attractive jacket if you're Bernard Black. But he's, he, he comes across as a lovely bloke. He has a nice bit of banter with Dom. He actually gives answers that I don't think Dom was quite expecting by going, yeah, you just fart. Yeah, I'm loaded. Like Dom, I think, was hoping to flummox him. Didn't work, but it gave us some great interview as a result. I think this is one of those examples of going over with the person beforehand. Not here are the questions I'm going to ask, but just so you know, I'm not going to be asking you any serious questions. Yeah. Just, it's just that preparation for the guest. And uh, let's go through these flowers first of all, because they're not nearly blokey enough. Uh, Rick Hennessy for PC Review is joining me at the 19th pole. Rick, any tips for Stephen? Yeah, there's no wind. We're playing without wind on the holes, Except so from us, uh, obviously uh, a lot of hot air anyway. Um, <laughs> and he's just got to keep it very straight and firm and true. Um, and also his putting. He said that his putting's not too great, so try and get to the green in two. There's also a nice spread in front of him. Did you see that sandwich selection and the tea set? I love how they are, I'm going to do, they are taking it seriously. They are acting like they are being, you know, pro golf commentators and using that as to be sort of part of the punchline for this challenge. I think it's actually really funny from the pair of them. Although my biggest laugh is, you know, they just go over the challenge again. Stephen's got two holes, the 10th and the 18th. They're both a par four. And Dom's just like... And obviously, as you can see, we are using the Game Boy version. I'm glad they acknowledge how fucking ludicrous this thing is. So we are starting here on the 10th. Now, Ash, I'm sure you're aware of this, but the 10th is the most iconic. It's a short par four leading to a bunker-guarded green with a water hazard lurking on the right-hand side. The 10th is a unique short par four, approximately 300 yards in length, with water running along the right-hand side of the fairway. Made famous in the 1985 Ryder Cup when golf's legend Steve Ballesteros twice drove the green. It's truly become one of the most memorable holes in all of golf. Here at the Belfry, there's intense anticipation and excitement, and nowhere more so than at that spectacular 10th hole, where a man must decide, do I take out the wood and go for the big one, 275 yards across water. There was no doubt in the mind of Sevi Biasteris as to what he would do. I mean, it's a hole I will certainly remember for a long, long time. Yeah, this is the one that that guy who was interviewing me at my uh, previous employer would pointed to and be like, that's the 10th at, at, the, uh, uh, at the Belfry. That's an iconic hole. And I was like, yep, sounds cool. <laughs> how much are you paying me here is more or less my question is it more than my previous job it is i'm i'm in tell me about all the holes you want i honestly that interview was essentially if there's a steady paycheck in it i'll believe anything you say <laughs> so, yeah, oh, so we're starting with the uh, five iron here it gets a nice 191 yard drive yeah i just want to say he he's invited to tee off at six minutes 49 seconds <laughs> just want you to keep that in mind so he uh, takes the wedge for the next shot, stops short just of the water, and he carries it over beautifully with that wedge shot. But now he's going to test his putting skills, which I believe might be his shortfall. And he misses the putt by just two inches. However, the game can't calculate shorter than that. So they're like, it's, the game's just given it to him. He's still on par. This is where it comes into the technology I mentioned, the kind of the acoustic thing. It's like, how do we acoustically measure two inches? They just, they just assume that you found the hole, basically. Yeah, you're, you're as close as you can possibly be. You passed it. Well done. 
Which means we move on to the 18th, uh, which I'm sure you're well aware, Ash, already, but it's a daunting finisher, and uh, one where many Ryder Cup dreams have been fulfilled or dashed. Sam Torrance also famously secured victory for Europe in the 1985 Ryder Cup on the 18th hole, a dramatic closing par four dominated by water. There are plenty of fantastic moments that have occurred on the Brabazon throughout the years, so it is a perfect opportunity for golfers to experience it for themselves. Torrance now with the safe approach to 18 after North had driven in the lake. He didn't need the birdie, but watch his shadow. He knows he's made it, and tears of great joy come to the Scotsman as the Europeans win their first Ryder Cup since 1957. I gather it's what's known as a risk and reward hole? Uh, yeah, I'm, I might have used that term when I've been writing about it in the past. I'm actually sh I'm pretty certain the text that I've just read out there verbatim is text that I wrote for that website about 10 years ago. I just Googled it just so I had something to say about this. <laughs> I mean, it's a long, it's, it's much longer uh, than the 10th. So he's going to use a driver here to start with. And he absolutely thwacks it down this 428 yard hole. And he gets 250 yards in, but he's slightly over to the right of the field which means that he sort of finds himself in the rough and then has to clear the water on his next shot. Dom would have gone for something with more lift. I think that's a good advice. I think, I, do you think, is Dom a golfer? I mean, he's Scottish. Mm, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Or he was just well prepared. It could be that. I was also thinking as well, like, you know, Dom at this point is trying to get other presenting gigs that aren't just Games Master. So is he taking up golf so he can go and play with other industry professionals and TV executives to show their... He could host, I don't know, shows like The Word, for example. He's like, well, the best way, the, the best way to do that, yeah, hobnobbing. The best way to do that is by playing golf with them. It's all about networking. What, what, what do you think people did when it came to that kind of thing for the past two years? Ooh, um, a virtual golf? Like, um, Mario Golf. Like, yeah, Mario Golf. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Man, business meetings on Mario Golf would be absolute chaos, and I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least it's a bit more gentle. Like, if you were doing business meetings over Mario Kart, like, I think that might be a bit more aggressive. Mate, have you seen the latest Mario Golf? I think gentle is not the word that you want to apply. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking too much of Mario Golf 64 or the GameCube one, which I played the heckins out of back in the uh, my university years. The new Mario Golf, which I have, I don't own, but it is on my list of things to own. But I thought there's no point until I can actually, like, be around other people to play it. Essentially has a run and gun mode. <laughs> run and gun golf and i think i looked at it and i'm like that looks absolute insane chaos very much here for it oh i'm so here for it yeah uh rick starts talking about his boxes um, but he's gonna need to chip to get onto the green which means he's gonna have to nail this final putt this is it the golden joystick rests on Stephen Hendry putting this ball, and he doesn't come within an arse's roar of getting it. He's 88 foot, he's like eight foot from the hole. He's actually bloody miles away. He may as well start it on the, on the tee. It was a valiant effort. The key word there being effort. Yeah, not to say, like, every other one of his shots was all right. Like, his 18th run wasn't as good as his 10th. However, like, it's not like he completely bollocked his time on the 18th. It's just he could not sink that putt. Yeah. And it's, it's a notorious hole. Many have tried for that hole. Many have failed. Ride a cup, etc. Well, bad luck, Stephen. Uh, that's probably the only thing you haven't won uh, in your entire life. Good start with that first hole. No problems at all there for you? No, no, I played the first hole perfectly. 
And yeah. then what, what happened at the second one? I uh, just collapsed. The pressure got to me. It was, a, it was an enormously long putt. I know, and uh, yeah, gave it a full shoulder turn and much too far. It's about like, I like it in the post-match as well, where it's like, it's about the only thing he's never won. Yeah, but he'll have to cry himself to sleep on his bed of money the massive fucking Scrooge McDuck of snooker that he is. Do you think Dom's right here by calling him the richest bloke they've ever had on this show? Oh, let's think of past celebrities. I mean, some of the boxers might be up there. Yeah. Um, Vic Reeves is very successful at what he does, but is he making as much money as Stephen Hendry is playing snooker? Yeah. Also, what about Jimmy White? Oh, Jimmy's a great show because Jimmy's got it. Jimmy's got years on him as well. But he's also probably spent a lot of money. I mean, you have to wonder where is Jimmy's career when he is coming onto a TV show to click a mouse. You say that, but also, you know, he's got all those sponsorship deals. Uh, he's got yeah. all those games with his name on it as well. There's likeness rights and things like that. So maybe there's a bit of bunts there to be had. I mean, to be fair, so does Stephen. Stephen has an entire company set up to deal with his sponsorship and licensing. But as we mentioned before, he didn't pay taxes on it. So he was kind of fucked there anyway. So, I mean, maybe, maybe Hendry is. He's certainly up there with the richest people they've had on this show, because a lot of the pop stars that they've had on this show will become mega rich. Robbie Williams, Gary Barlow, Natalie and Brulia. But at that point, they're very early in their careers, so probably aren't quite as rich. I mean, I know they've had Michael Jackson on this show, but uh, even then, like, I don't think that he was making as much money as Stephen Hendry was. But end of challenge, 11 minutes 30, a solid five minutes of golfing challenge and I say this not as a criticism, but just as an observation, it felt a lot longer. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It didn't feel rushed, which I liked. Yes, I like that we're spending more time on challenges. And clearly that's what Dom wanted from, you know, uh, towards the end of Series 4 when they were only doing two challenges. But, you know, even then they'd set themselves 90 seconds or like two minutes or whatever it was. Now we are being able to spend five whole minutes on a challenge. I mean, we got, you know, challenges coming up throughout this series where the challenge runtime is the length of the show. Girls in video games are a bit like fat blokes and tight pants. The two just don't seem to go together. American Laser Games may change this though, with a new full motion video CD-ROM for ladies, Mackenzie and Cole. The player navigates around these video clips trying to get a date for the prom. That's a school's out go mental party to you and me. Get a really great guy, get to know him, fall in love, get married, and live happily ever after. Okay, how about just get to know a really great guy by making the first move and letting love pave the way? Yeah. Great idea. So, who's the lucky man? Okay, you've got thick bloke. Have you figured this out yet? Smooth bloke. Hey, I better get going. And geeky blokes. It's me, Gavin! Gavin Pepkis! And Farm Club. The footage for the game was shot not in Hollywood, but in some bloke's old shed. And hundreds of alternate scenes were shot, allowing the player to determine how the story turns out. No expense was spared to capture that top teenage atmosphere. Car parts were filled with sand to make glamorous scenes like this. Is this party awesome or what? You're next. Well, I suppose we can't have Dave saying all the sexist things on this show, so here comes Dom. Never mind that shit, Luke. An advanced copy of the yearbook. Shut the front door and call me Susie. An advanced copy of the yearbook. I mean, do you know how precious that is in high school? I, at my school, we were clearly of that generation that had been heavily influenced by American movies. So we didn't have a prom or anything like that. We had a dinner and dance at, at the end of our, our, our time at school when we were sort of year 12 and year 13. But there were a group of people in our school that were just like, oh, we need to have a yearbook. And 
I don't like, and I didn't. That was never a thing in my school up until like that final year that we were there. And as it turns out, like I was in one photo, and even then I was massively cropped out of it. And then I had my like my awards. They gave like everyone awards at the end of it, like most likely to whatever it is. And mine was most likely to be the lead singer of the darkness, which really does date when I went to school and also what I looked like at the time I was at school. But Luke, most importantly, do you believe in a thing called love? Just listen to the rhythm of my heart. Uh, unfortunately, I did not become the lead singer of The Darkness. On the plus side, it also means you didn't become the lead singer of The Darkness. I saw them headline Reading Festival once, and it was actually the only album they'd released at that point was Permission to Land, and they had done the Christmas single, which means they played every single song off Permission to Land and the Christmas single on the August bank holiday because they had a lot of time to fill. I, have you seen, like, was it Justin... Is it Justin Hawkins? Yes, that's the name, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, that's the person you're not. But that's is the person, the person that has a YouTube channel where he goes in... Yeah, he starts to do a YouTube channel where he talks about music and other oh. musical acts. And the reason it came to my attention is I saw a very clickbaity headline of you know, it's him look, there looking serious. And it's like, the Foo Fighters, are they overrated? And I'm like, ooh, spicy talk from one musician about another group of musicians. Uh, turns out, no, no, they're not. They're actually just that good. <laughs> turns out they're actually quite good. Yeah. I was just going to say, if he was going to start throwing stones at the, at the Foo Fighters for being commercial... Ooh, that would be that would be dangerous territory to step oh, on. Isn't that just yeah? That that is. You should not be throwing those stones while living in your house made of glass. Also, if we ever do get to do karaoke, either on or around or after a under consultation event, I know what I'm signing you up to sing. And you know, and actually, be I used to do it as one of my party tricks when I was a uh, a student at the time because. I don't know if, how many people know this about me. I can actually, I've got a pretty decent, is it vibrato, the high note that you can do? Yeah. Like I can hit some high notes. I can't, they're not in tune, but I can certainly get quite high with my vocals. You can hit all the right notes, just not necessarily in the right order. Mariah Carey, I ain't. So you're not the lead singer of The Darkness. <laughs> you're not Mariah Carey. Or I could be part of Mackenzie and Co. Oh, Mackenzie and Co. Now, this is okay yes dom's comments were very sexist but this was part of a new company that was originally called games for her interactive and it's a spin-off of american laser games and this was their first title i was surprised when i was doing research for this that mackenzie is not the name of a character mackenzie is actually the name of the geo tracker that you use in order to pick your date for the prom yes Marvellous, cool, kinetic movement, everlasting friendship, non-conformist, zany, ingenious, and empowered. That is fucking tenuous at best. That's labouring a point. That is a case <laughs> of they picked a bunch of buzzwords, or whatever they were calling them back in the 90s, out of a hat, and they're like, right, let's arrange the first letters of these until we get something that sounds like a name. And it's like, okay, uh, Chemsium? No... No. Oh, Mackenzie. There we go. I was going to say, it's either that way, or they came up with the name Mackenzie in care, where I was like, right, it should be an acronym for this, or initialism. And I was like, oh, what could it be? Um, uh, and then they basically just spent, you know, I would say uh, two minutes just listing words that start with those letters. Yeah, they were probably just like, oh, we need we need like an, a name because we've got Blossom, uh, we've got Clarissa Explains It All, Melissa Joan Hart, mm, and we've got you know, all these kinds of shows. So we need a name. 
we need a name to go with this kind of weird ripoff of Saved by the Bell, like 90210, whatever it is they're doing here. Like, to be honest, it, it was fairly successful at what it was doing, enough to get an expansion pack for it. I love the fact as well, when I was reading about this, there was something that brought a huge wave of nostalgia over me as well, which is that this game came on five CDs. I was like, oh, do you remember when games were on multiple CDs? I mean, yeah, multiple CDs, or indeed multiple DVDs when we got a bit later in the pre-Blu-ray era. But yeah, this came out for 3.1, Windows 95, Mac OS. There was a 3DO version planned, but it never came out. But an interesting turnabout, because this wasn't like a one-and-done for the company. Uh, Her Interactive, as they shortened their name to, eventually split off from American Laser. They developed over 33 entries in the Nancy Drew adventure series, which like I think the latest one of which came out in 2019, so like really, really quite recently. But they eventually went back and actually bought American Laser, so they kind of left the parent company and then returned and took them over. They had a better rate of success through the 90s and into the 2000s than American Laser did themselves. So whilst Dom's comments at the beginning are a bit, what her interactive did clearly landed. It also looks way better. And when I say that, I mean in terms of the quality of sort of the, the cameras and things like that, way better than most of the American laser games. The quality of this video is really sharp. This is definitely being shot. I mean, Dom takes a few pot shots at the fact of, oh, they dumped a bunch of sand in a parking lot to make it look like a beach. But you know what? With the way it's framed, it looks like a beach. It looks more convincing than when Power Rangers did it sometimes. To be fair, if you... Yeah, it does. It doesn't (laughs) doesn't look like a quarry, put it that way. Exactly. Now, when this thing actually came out, because it was marketed towards girls and because it was a 5CD game, a lot of big publishers didn't want to distribute it. But it was still successful. It sold over 40,000 units in its first couple of years and over 80,000 in its lifetime. And it, of course, got a lot of press because it was one of the few titles that was actually being a girl-orientated game developed in the US that wasn't like a Barbie kind of like platformer generic thing on the Game Boy or something like that. This was something that was built for the ground up for a specific target audience that they felt was untapped. And you know what? Even just watching it here, it has clearly aged very badly. It was very much building on gender stereotypes, but it was bringing people into games that otherwise might not have gone there. And I'm not saying that people would play this and then pick up a pad and suddenly be doing fatalities or Mortal Kombat, but you never know. And the game is very stereotypical, not just in terms of like its gender politics, but also in just, you know, high school stereotypes. You've got your jocks, you've got your nerds, and the nerds look like, like if you haven't watched this episode, you know exactly what the nerds in this game look like because they look like every stereotypical nerd that was in American pop culture at the time. It's, you know, some of the things about this, I think, look pretty good, although it's that guy who comes to prom in shorts and a suit jacket is not looking good. Nobody is looking very 1995. (laughs) Plus, also, this does suffer from the standard saved by the bell issue of people in their 20s trying to be 14 and 15 years old. Oh, yeah. But yeah, we have our prospective dates, which is basically thick bloke, smooth bloke and geeky bloke. And they they look exactly how you would imagine them to look as well. It's peak mid 90s. It's it's everything you would expect from, as I said, saved by the bell blossom. Uh, 
Actually, no, not Clarissa explains it all. Clarissa was a bit too cool. Like, or rather, it wasn't cool, but it was cool by not being cool. But the most, I mean, there were two bits towards the end of this feature that shocked me. One is when one of the guys showing up to pick you up for the prom uh, says, You're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. He's right, honey. You look fabulous. That's creepy. That's Trump-level creepy. And then the second one is Dominic going, I compared to every other game on the planet, Mackenzie and Co's quite good as it happens. And on Games Master, we quite literally cannot wait to play the finished version. That sounded sincere. I don't know if it was sincere, though. Well, I think it is. If it sold 80,000 copies to a previously untapped market, maybe it was actually pretty good. Or at least entertaining. I was going to say, or it's a case of they can't wait to play it so they can sit around and take the piss out of it. And like, you know, get get a CD-ROM of the week feature ready. To be honest, both are valid. Yeah. You know, you make your own entertainment. Coming up in part two, top unusual challenge action in Mortal Kombat 3 on the PlayStation. So while I take a quick toilet break, make room in your hearts for these fantastic advertisements. Starts October the 12th on 4. I'm a single woman who loves Kellogg's Frosties. Here's my story. It had been a long day at the office. But I knew what I wanted. I knew I was wrong. <laughs> Me, a grown woman, still running around like a schoolgirl. What I didn't know was that I was in for a very big... <laughs> caught red-handed. Adults never grow out of the great taste of Kellogg's Frosties. They're great! Imagine someone is monitoring your life. Our whole lives are on the computer. They knew everything. Someone knows all your secrets. Someone can wipe out every trace of your identity. Sandra Bullock is caught in the net. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How hungry was I? Mighty double hungry. So where did I go? Straight to KFC 4. One mighty double burger coming right up, she said. I thought I was seeing double. Two white chicken pieces, lettuce, mayo and tangy barbecue sauce on a long sesame bun. Mmm, mighty double value, mighty double taste. So where to? KFC on the double. The mighty double. The KFC mighty double and all for only 2 15 Saturday night, dare to leave the mainstream. A spy hole into the vibe of subcultures, whether stepping out with skinheads, or scooting with the ambassadors of Bank Holiday Britain, getting to grips with girls in the hood, or entwined in the roots of rave, including screenings of classic tribe movies. For the inside on Outsiders Clock Tribe Time, starting Saturday from 10 past 11 on Channel 4. Welcome back. Mortal Kombat 3 on the PlayStation has what's called a six-month exclusivity window. This means if you bought a copy now and stood in the street waving it like a madman, six months later some bloke would come along doing the same with the Saturn version. Ash, you got your PlayStation on day of launch, which means you had the option to play Mortal Kombat 3 six months before it hit the Saturn. Did you get it in those six months? I did actually, and I remember I did because if I remember correctly, Mortal Kombat 3 was one of those rare early PlayStation games that came in a non-standard box. You had some PlayStation games that came in kind of an all-cardboard version of the PlayStation uh, disc box, and Mortal Kombat 3 was, I believe, one of them. If it wasn't, then it was Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, but you know, it was 25 years ago. I'm getting on. Yeah. The latest Mortal Kombat outing hits the stores next month, with seven new characters as well as the return of Sonya and Kano, plus the added bonus of animalities and combos. PlayStation Power means combat-crazed boy men can expect a near-perfect conversion of the arcade game, but haven't we seen it all before? There's codes in there, and there's now animalities, which were always rumoured to have been in the previous game, but I'm not sure that this really adds anything to the genre, and with games like Tekken and the new 3D environments to fight in, I think Mortal Kombat may actually have had its day. OK, it's not a great improvement over Mortal Kombat 2, but hey, we haven't seen a Mortal Kombat game on a PlayStation ever. It's got huge and very speedy graphics. It's also got code words. It'll give you extra characters. It'll give everything you ever want from a Mortal Kombat game and more. I hope this is the last one, but it's certainly a good way to go out. It's certainly monster, and I'm going to be playing it. I know you're going to be playing it. All I'm saying is don't expect too much. We've got Rick Henderson and Dave Perry providing the review here for Mortal Kombat 3, calling it a near-perfect conversion of the arcade game. Do we think it is? Not if you include the load times. <laughs> exactly. But we've got seven new characters, the return of Sonya and Kano, and animalities. Now, I love the fact that animalities are in this game because it was a rumor from Mortal Kombat. Like, you know, Dave talks about this in the review, but it's like completely right. There were so many rumors around Mortal Kombat 2 of secret characters, hidden secrets, and you can turn people into animals. And one of the things I've always loved about Mortal Kombat, particularly around this period of time, is that they would take these rumors that were sort of you know, early days of the internet from magazines and from shows like Games Master and this and the other, and then would implement them into future games. There's a lot of characters in Mortal Kombat that have been born out from 
rumors of them featuring in other games and then become part of like the Mortal Kombat legacy. And Animalities is one of those. You know, it was a rumored thing for Mortal Kombat 2, never an actual thing in Mortal Kombat 2. But Midway saw that and was like, should we just put them into Mortal Kombat 3? That would be quite funny, actually. And it did start to establish this kind of, I guess, the broadening of the Mortal Kombat canon because, boom, fatalities, friendships, babalities, animalities, brutalities, all these things that build up. And now the amount of stuff you can pull off in a Mortal Kombat game is ridiculous to the point where you sometimes get little kind of like payable tokens just to be able to pull them off easily, as we found out with Games Master Series 8 when we talked with Ketchup and Mustard. The thing that I found most interesting from this review, though, which is that this is a 2D fighting game in a world of Virtua Fighter and Tekken 2. And they are sort of like talking about this as like, has Mortal Kombat had its day? Which is weird as well, because at the time, Midway were pushing that 1995 was the year of Mortal Kombat. It's never really been a game. It's not about amusement. It's about power and obsession. It's controversy and it's battle. It stands supreme above all others. It is without question the most successful title in the history of our industry. It's a new realm. Because it's now a major motion picture. It's a live international tour. It's a groundbreaking advertising campaign. It's compelling secret codes that create new sources of revenue. Most importantly, it's an unprecedented event. The world's most powerful fighting experience released now so you can cash in on a universe of promotional support. 1995 belongs to Mortal Kombat. It can also belong to you. Because not only did you have MK3, the biggest Mortal Kombat game to date, you had the movie, the cartoon series, The Journey Begins, you had the stage show and things like that, the album. So like they thought it was like, you know, this is the year of Mortal Kombat. And yet Dave and Rick are sort of sitting here being like, oh, but has other have other games come out and surpassed it? I wonder what you thought of that. Um, I think this is something we've discussed before, but if you look at fighters of this time, I'm actually more likely to pick up Mortal Kombat 3 than I am the first Tekken, or even yeah. maybe Tekken 2. Uh, because there is something about the graphics that have just aged better. Like they scale better and they look better. And also the gameplay is kind of at the peak of where it was going to be. Whereas if you go back to playing Tekken 1 and 2 after being used to Tekken 6, 7, 8, whatever, it's a step backwards. It's a regression because timings have changed, windows have changed, but Mortal Kombat still feels like Mortal Kombat, or at least in that kind of time zone and context. And I think Rick's point of, okay, it may not have reinvented the wheel, it may not be a massive improvement, but we haven't seen a Mortal Kombat game on the PlayStation ever. And it is everything you could want from a Mortal Kombat game, plus a bunch of new stuff. He does hope it's the last one. Spoilers, it won't be. But if it is, it's a hell of a way to go out. And even Dave, being negative about it, goes, look, I'll be playing it, you'll be playing it, just don't expect it too much. Again, don't expect it to reinvent the wheel. 
and it still gets 90%. We are in that period of time. We talked about this slightly earlier with Command and Conquer as well. And I just remembered magazines and TV shows like this at the time, where it's like, the 2D age is over, we're moving into 3D. And as a games player at the time, I really held on for 2D for a long time. I much preferred playing the Mega Man X series when they hit the PlayStation than I did playing Tomb Raider. I just found those games to be much more enjoyable. And, you know, I think that has stuck with me until my mid-30s now, where I am still much more a 2D player than I am a 3D player. But yeah, it was just, I, I felt like I was... <laughs> I felt like I was not on the the right curve, if that makes sense, like around this time, because I'm I as a player was more drawn towards Mortal Kombat 3 than I ever was Tekken 2 in the arcades. I think that's fair. I think it's a, it can be a gameplay choice and also a stylistic choice. But I do just want to say you talked earlier about the six month exclusivity. And then we had the comment from Rick about, you know, m- maybe this will be the last one and Dave going, oh, it's had its day. So Mortal Kombat 3 comes out for the PlayStation with a six-month timed exclusivity window. Six months later, the Saturn gets Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, which is Mortal Kombat 3 with some extra beans on top. Sony, seeing that, then go, fine, fuck you, Mortal Kombat trilogy. So not only is it not the last Mortal Kombat, it's not even the last version of 3. They they Street Fighter 2'd it. Oh man, they Street Fighter 2'd it, but I think the actual breadth of Mortal Kombat between 3, Ultimate and Trilogy is broader than street fighter 2 to say super street fighter 2 turbo i agree yeah it's a bit like tekken 2 in the arcades and then tekken 2 when it got its home release they end up being basically different games the super nes and mega drive versions seen here prove that you don't need 32-bit consoles to put off the kind of death move that other computer game shows are too cack to show but we do also briefly see the snes and the mega drive versions which are reviewed in games master magazine as well just to prove it doesn't actually need 32 bits so there you are going oh it's Mortal Kombat 3 on the PlayStation way by the way so as a Mega Drive players you're still fine do you want to know how they did how the games did in the magazine very much so so there is a two-page spread for each and the one thing you can immediately see is the SNES gets the better end of the graphics detail there is a noticeable difference between the SNES and the Mega Drive it's crazy isn't it how that's shifted you know when we go back to series 3 episode 1 it was the Mega Drive version that you had to get of Mortal Kombat because the SNES one was just missing all of this content. And now two games later, actually not even two games later, just one game later when they got MK2, the SNES was actually the much better option to play Mortal Kombat on. But it's interesting because they're both reviewed by different people. So Les is reviewing the SNES version and graphics get 95 in a word, incredible, in two, bloody incredible, as arcade perfect as the SNES gets. Sound, 93, the speech, screams and those nasty bone-crunching fighting effects rule. Smart, gameplay, 97, tons of moves and allities to figure out and the slickest fighting action you've ever experienced. Lifespan, 94, very difficult in one-player mode and it will last forever as a two-player game, or at least until Mortal Kombat 4. Overall, the beat-em-up to end all beat-em-ups as far as the SNES goes. Mortal Kombat 3 is simply the best beat-em-up on the SNES and the one game you just have to buy. Go on, we told them you would. Don't make us liars. You'd have to be mad to miss out on this. 95%. That's a rad score there for for MK3 on the 16-bit machines. Now, the Mega Drive version, which does look noticeably ropier and the colours, you know, the colour accuracy is a lot lower than the SNES. But it's reviewed by Pete. Not that Pete, a different Pete. And graphics, 96. Take a look. Can you tell the difference between this and the arcade? 
only just. Mm. Uh, sound 92. Good samples, noises, and generally nasty squelching as you dish out some awesome punishment. Gameplay 95. This is where it really scores over Mortal Kombat 2. The combos make it even more brutal fun. Very true. Uh, lifespan 95. Tough to beat, especially on two-player. An immortal beat-em-up if ever I saw one. Overall, for Mega Drive sprites to look this good is quite an achievement. The new characters and features add a new dimension to what we thought was an unbeatable sequel. 92%. Hmm. Now, in a Great British menu scenario, you'd ask me, you'd be asking, where do those 3% go? Yeah, I'm not... I'm not sure, really, because graphics 95, 96. So they actually scored the graphics 1% higher. Sounds 93 on the SNES, 92 on the Mega Drive. Gameplay 97 on the SNES, 95 on the Mega Drive. I guess there is also the thing of the SNES by default has enough buttons to cope with Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, unless you're using the six button pads on the Mega Drive. But again, as we mentioned previously, it was never the standards. Lifespan 94, Mega Drive 95. So there's still a 3% discrepancy, despite the fact that, yeah, it's a weird one, that one. But I guess two different people. I genuinely think that they should have had Les review both. Or maybe having two separate people reviewing it was a cop-out because then they didn't have to say one was better than the other. Although I do think it is weird uh, that Mortal Kombat 3 got its release on the Mega Drive. Like, Not that it's weird that it got its release on the Mega Drive, but there was nothing Mega CD or 32X related for it. I always thought that was a bit weird. It, I mean, I mean, I guess it shows just there wasn't there wasn't the faith in it. Yeah, it probably was something to do with that. Yeah. Oh, but Luke, guess what? What's that? There was slated to be a release of this for the Atari Jaguar in the second quarter of 1996. I really thought this gimmick would have died at the end of Series Three, but here we are at the start of Series Five, and we're still talking about Atari games that didn't come out. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because you're right. It didn't come out. <laughs> it did not come out. <laughs> Oh, but Luke, guess what? What's that? There was also a port for the 3DO announced for an early 1996 release, which not only was announced, but was put on magazine covers and reportedly complete, but still never got put out, so it could still be out there. Oh, yeah, there must be a ROM of it somewhere out there. Oh, also lastly, guess what? There was a port of just vanilla Mortal Kombat 3 also announced for the Saturn, but as we've discussed, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. The most bizarre carriage in the MK gravy train, though, is the stage show hitting the road in America this month. Call me cynical and witty, but I can't help thinking this is a tragic way to waste an evening. Also imminent in the States is Mortal Kombat The Cartoon, a straight-to-video 60-minute disaster incorporating a dubious mixture of traditional animation and computer-rendered sequences. But I mentioned earlier, 1995 is the year of Mortal Kombat, and not only have we got a review of Mortal Kombat 3 there, we have got chat about The Journey Begins and the Mortal Kombat stage show. Uh, now, if you will permit me to do so, I'm just going to quickly dive into uh, a tome. Uh, that I, I once wrote. You wrote a book? I did, yeah. I wanted to read out this quote about the Mortal Kombat live show. <clears throat> Those next projects were all very successful in one way or another. A TV spin-off show called Mortal Kombat Conquest was now in development, as was an animated series, a sequel album to Mortal Kombat, the official soundtrack, and the Radio City musical show had proven to be such a success that it began to tour the country to sold-out arenas. I flew down to Indiana, which is as middle America as it gets, Larry Kasanoff recalls, and it was a packed arena of about 3,000 people. And the guy who owns the arena goes, you know, this is our second most successful show in the last year. And I said, wow, that's great. Out of curiosity, 
what was the first? And he says, a Ku Klux Klan rally. Not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting him to go Power Rangers live because that gets referenced in this video bit of like the one kid going, it's better than Power Rangers. Yeah, no, it was a KKK rally. I, I mean, I guess I can see some. No, never mind. <laughs> Let's just leave that. Now, this is so weird because, of course, Mortal Kombat has gone mainstream. And so whilst you've got Mortal Kombat 2 and 3, and to a degree the movie, being pretty violent with some deaths and some fatalities, here you have a live tour, uh, kind of martial art theatrical show, which whilst it does have some fighting, has no blood, no graphic violence, no fatalities. Yeah, I'm, I don't quite... I, I sort of see the idea behind it, but I don't think it was going to be a the huge... You were never going to get to see actual Mortal Kombat on stage because, well, you're not going to see someone rip someone's head off and their spine dangling around it. See, I think they could do it. Even back then, I think they could have done it. I think they should have assembled like a house band and they should have Alice Coopered it. The, my argument to that, though, is that at this point, Larry Kasnoff was not trying to appeal this to adults. He was trying to bring in the family market for Mortal Kombat. That's why Mortal Kombat is a PG-13 movie. Prepare yourself for the most advanced animation ever. New Line Home Video presents the world premiere of Mortal Kombat. The journey begins. This awesome direct-to-video animated adventure is based upon the largest selling video game in history. Mortal Kombat has generated over $1 billion in revenues. Now it continues its trend-setting legacy with Mortal Kombat The Journey Begins. Give millions of kids what they've wanted because Mortal Kombat the animated video is suitable for viewing by the entire family. Oh, I know, but they could have done it. They, oh, yeah, like, they absolutely technically, technically, technically could have done it, yeah, but they were never going to. Yeah, they could have done it all via a combination of like kind of the same sort of martial artists they've got now, plus some prosthetics, plus um, what's it called? Um, Pepper's Ghost. Yeah, and it's the same with like, you know, the cartoon that we've got here, Mortal Kombat, The Journey Begins, which is, we actually briefly talked about on a, on a previous episode about possibly doing a live show based around it because it is absolute garbage. That cartoon exists to promote the movie because Aladdin Return of Jafar was a massive success for Disney as a VHS release. In the tradition of the return of Jafar, this stunning animated adventure was produced exclusively for home video, and it will not be on pay-per-view. And so Kasanov saw that and was like, man, Disney had such success with a direct-to-video movie that we should do this with Mortal Kombat as well. Yeah. Now, I genuinely remember renting this when it came out. Yep, same here. And just just even back then in the kind of throes of Mortal Kombat mania, I was so disappointed. I was just, yeah, I was absolutely just not not uh, not even underwhelmed. Just not even, yeah, not even underwhelmed. I was just kind of, eh. Dom in this segment here calls it a disaster and he is not wrong. It is atrociously terrible. The cell animation is bad. Yep, the 3D animation is bad. Yeah. The acting is bad. It's put together poorly. It is an unmitigated disaster of epic proportions. It's hilariously terrible in a way. But even then, like, it's not fun to watch in a hilariously terrible kind of way. It really is, you know, like, it's almost a proof of concept of what Larry Kasnoff would later go and do with food fights. It, it is. Let's just shovel this shit ah. out there. Let's yeah. just get it to market as quickly as possible because... we've got a film to promote. 
you've got a film to promote, you want to strike while the iron's hot, you want to sell as much stuff to as many kids as possible, even though they really were not the target audience of the original game. No, they weren't. Well, I mean, I mean Paul W. Sanson would argue otherwise. He would say that more kids played it than adults did. But yeah, this is just a way to shovel stuff out for kids. It came to VHS, it came to Laserdisc. One thing we didn't mention when we were just talking about the live show is even during the show, the actors would be instructing the audience to go to the concession stands at interval and buy merchandise because if they buy some of the merchandise, these kind of amulets that they can wear, it will help save the earth, Luke. (laughs) This is... You've got the whole thing that we've had for years, like He-Man and whatnot, where there is a cartoon made to market a toy and it's been a major legal issue and various guidelines across the world to stop that sort of thing happening. But boy, howdy, it was happening here, which is where we are making a product to sell things. Yeah. But you know what? I don't think I've had enough Mortal Kombat 3. I wonder if we can get a challenge out of it as well. I sense that beating up the computer-controlled characters when you play the game in one-player mode isn't as easy as it used to be. So my challenge today is for a contestant to win a best-of-three-round fight against the computer with the difficulty set to hard. It would be nice to see combos and the new finishing moves, but um, I'll accept a straight win. Yeah, we've just spent the past five minutes or so burying the product up to its neck. Let's play the game. I mean, they did like the game, more or less. You know, 90% is a strong score for it. So I think the game they're into, they're just not into any of the peripheries around it. Yeah, I mean, even with Dave's reservations in the review, they still gave it 90%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, This is first of many Mortal Kombat 3 challenges we're going to have. One of which, spoilers, will be done by Christopher Lambert. Oh, Christopher Lambert with the best Belgian god Scottish accent ever. But... I love how this challenge pans out because, yeah, we start, it's a standard best two out of three falls against the computer with the game on the hardest difficulty level. So far, so standard. We're playing on the PlayStation version, apparently, so we are also seeing the version that they reviewed. And we meet our challenger, a young man named Mark Taus. So to play Mortal Kombat 3, please welcome another young man with a short haircut, Mark Taus. Now, Mark, you're aptly suited to this. You are all formats national games playing champion right, yeah. and a bit of a martial arts expert. Oh, I do have a fantastic pair of nunchucks, Dominic. I, I'm, I'm sure you do. And also a big uh, game show fan. Oh, I do like appearing on game shows. So far today, I haven't done too well. I was the first person out on 15 to 1 and uh, have the third lowest ever score on catchword to my name, which is not really something to boast about. But you did get to meet William G. Stewart. Oh, it was the highlight of my life, Dominic. Second to meeting you, of course. The hardest man in television, William G. Stewart. Mm, So I've heard. Good job I didn't get on the wrong side of him. That's true. Very violent man as well, if you upset him. Mm. Oh, you don't want to see him glaring at you while you're stood up there in the podium. (sighs) And you don't want to see his nunchuckers either. Absolutely not. I'll bet. (laughs) Who is very confident. I mean, despite the fact he's terrible at 15 to 1, I think he has got more of a grip on Mortal Kombat than he has those sorts of questions. He is the all-formats national games playing champion. That is his relevance being here, not being shot at 15 to 1. He's also a martial arts expert, apparently, and he tells Dom he has a fantastic pair of nunchucks. Boom, for diamondism. I very much appreciated Mark's baggy t-shirt, and I, but I actually like you. I like the way that this challenge pans out. Because we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Like Dave Perry is in the booth with us. Young shot is Mark Taus is about to try Mortal Kombat 3. Help me out is Dave Perry, who we're going to call Skipper. 
today, I think, Dave. Yeah, that's uh, fine. Right, well, he's playing Sub-Zero in this first bout, so tell us, what's the new move Sub-Zero has in Mortal Kombat 3? Well, in Mortal Kombat 3, Sub-Zero has two notable new moves. One is the Ice Shower, which he can bring down upon his opponent, and he has an Ice Clone move, which allows him to make a freezing replica of himself, which if his opponent touches it, it will freeze him. You mean Skipper? Yeah, I was going to say Dom's piss-taking nickname for him this week is Skipper. I think Dave has started to cotton on to it now. You can see the penny starting to drop, and he's like, oh, God. But he's going to talk about Sub-Zero's brand new moves. And what we essentially see is Mark beat Jax very, very easily in two very quick successive rounds. Yeah, Mark gets underway and just like flattens Jax off the bat. There is no time limit in these rounds, which is interesting. Not that it's a problem because he doesn't, he wouldn't even get close to the bottom end of 90 seconds. Yeah. And Dom and Dave are just kind of idly discussing Jax's metal arms and his fashion choices. Meanwhile, Mark is just like, prump floor white and performs the backbreaker fatality it just bulldozes through him basically like it wasn't a challenge for him you know they were really putting over this the newest game it's on the hardest setting it's gonna be a real challenge for him and he made it look like the easiest thing in the world and that was done by design because there's a secondary challenge for him that wasn't actually that good and it's definitely not worth a joystick so we're actually going to ask Mark to play it a little bit differently here. Mark, we do understand. We have spoken to your mum. She says you can play Mortal Kombat blindfold. Is this in fact correct? That is correct, Dominic. I won't even begin to ask you how you discovered this or even why, but you've never tried this on Mortal Kombat 3? Never. Ever? Not even for a laugh? Not yet, no. And is now adopting the guise of Ketchup or Sector, and he's playing against Liu Kang. And it is the smartest character choice and why he works on this challenge, because yeah. Sector has at least two homing moves, one of which is a missile, the other of which is the kind of jumping uppercut where you fly off the screen and come up the bottom again. You're targeted always on the person that you're facing. It's the, a, such a smart move. Yeah, and all he needs to do is keep hitting those and he'll do it. Liu Kang, as being played by the computer, falls for it mostly, but does actually manage to take the first round. Second round, Mark doesn't mess about, he just sticks with homing missile and uppercut. He spams them. It's not complicated gameplay, it does the job. And he wins that second round. So we're one apiece. And at this point, we add a double layer just to make sure he can't see out of the blindfold as the angels hold a big book of birds in front of his face. Gee, I wonder why they picked that book. I bet you if he could see out of that blindfold, Luke, he'd be seeing a cracking pair of tits. I'm sure he would have done. It's really... I'm so ashamed of myself right now. <laughs> it really is cool. Like, I love this. I am... I watch a lot of GDQ has been brought up many times on this and blindfold runs have become quite a big thing in GDQ um, or just it started off as just doing challenges, you know, like the Mexican runner doing the um, the Battletoads raceway thing blindfolded. And then that quickly became to people doing punch outs blindfolded, people playing like full games blindfolded to the point now where at the most recent GDQ, someone played through Sekiro blindfolded the hell yeah I, I thought it was mad when people did super mario 64 getting you know as many stars as possible blindfolded and completing the game but sekiro blindfolded that is madness and it's fascinating to watch as well but as i said this is kind of cheap gameplay tactics and in fairness if he was doing this against a human assuming the human could see and wasn't also blindfolded, it would be undone very quickly. Yeah. You would be oh, able yeah. to work around this. But the computer, even on the hardest difficulty, assuming it is actually on the hardest difficulty, it can try and block, but it doesn't actually do 
a very good job of it. So he still takes the win and he gets to the third round. He does the same tactic as the second. It's effective. Finish him. He does try for the fatality. If he had pulled that fatality off, that's two golden joysticks immediately. He gets double joystick because that would have been impressive to be able to pull off a fatality blindfolded. And I reckon he could have done it as well. He just didn't do it on the day. Yeah, he, he knew what he needed to do. He just didn't have the, the spacing, the spacing right. That, that was it. Yeah, but I think, and I think in a previous series of Games Master, they would have done a retake and let him pull it off. I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. If oh, no, oh yeah, I'm, I'm glad they didn't as well. Like, I think that, that shows the difference between now and a previous series. If he'd actually pulled off the fatality, it would have been glorious, but also part of me would have been going, ah, oh, they fixed that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who knows? We may get the book in a couple of months' time and we find out they fixed it anyway. Mark Tows, how did you do that? If only I knew, Dominic, that was probably the most difficult thing that I've had to do in my life so far. Even more difficult than appearing on 15 to 1? Even more difficult than that, although only just. What a victory, Luke. What a victory. What a challenge. That might be my favourite challenge from Series 5 so far. Like, I know we're only three episodes in, but I thought that was rad. I think both these challenges are just really solid. The golf one was fun. It was a very different pace. And it was actually, I think, the first golf challenge we've had on the show that is actually interesting and not being played by a bit of a dick. Also, this Mortal Kombat challenge, it's easily the best Mortal Kombat challenge we've had. Mm, Easily so. Because we get to see the game, we get to see a fatality, and then we get to see someone so good at the game, he can beat it blindfolded admittedly, with kind of cheap tactics, but it doesn't matter. They're still tactics. And what an evolution we've seen across the last three series of this. You know, it's back in series three where it was regular Joes playing this game that not really played before and couldn't quite get to grips with it. Actually, saying that across the last four series, we saw it in series two. And then you cut to series four where they're playing against Baraka and people are a little bit better at the game now. Series five, Mortal Kombat 3, we're playing this blindfolded and doing brilliantly at it. It's just, it's awesome to see. Absolutely. Um, man, what an episode. This is a re- I mean, we'll get into the rating soon, but I loved this episode. Even seeing some of the absolutely Bobbins Mortal Kombat stuff going on was a joy because it reminded me how batshit that time was for Mortal Kombat. Well, that's it. We're totally laughed out. No more time. Just remember, life is like a pair of pants. If you don't change it, it can start to smell. Bye-bye. Words to live by. Words to live by, indeed. So that is episode three of series five. Ash, I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about it then, a bit briefly. This is a great episode of Games Master. This is a tight episode of Games Master as well. And... I think it is a great example of Dom's changes making Games Master a better show to watch. It's not trying to cram too much in. It is focusing on challenges and the people that they're interviewing while also giving you reviews and its news and not trying to be like, and here's a feature, here's a feature, here's a feature, here's the consultation zone, try and cram as much in as possible. It flows so nicely. I think having five minutes on that golf challenge is a breath of fresh air. Especially because with the with the studio setting, it works. I think a five-minute golf challenge with a live audience would have been crickets and you would have felt the lack of energy in the room. But because of the new setting, it just kind of works. It's just absolutely fine and it fits perfectly. We kind of ramp up a little bit. We have the golf challenge, we have the news, we have the reviews... And then we're building up to this crescendo with this double Jeopardy Mortal Kombat 3 challenge. 
all that's missing is the kind of the conceit that if he doesn't do it, he gets cast into oblivion or something or gets sent to purgatory. Gets sent Mm. back down to hell with the goblins who may or may not have been driving the bus. Yeah, exactly. And it's so nice because we had season one where the show was finding its feet. We had season two where it really hit its stride and it knew what it was doing for that iteration of the show. We had season three, which was actually literally a series of two halves. And the second half in particular was too much into the time frame. And then we had season four, which was a show searching for its identity, dealing with production problems, dealing with time frame problems, and also in Dom's own word, dealing with unfiltered Dominic Diamond. And it had its good moments. It had its great moments. It also had its lows and leaving aside baby ron because we're never going to agree on that series five format wise the show is settled we have one or two challenges we have the news we have the reviews we have the magazine features the show flows all three episodes have had a flow to them that has been nice and consistent and measured and it's just nice it's just nice not to feel rushed not to feel things are too crowded just to be able to go through and enjoy the episode. And I think with episodes one and two, it's already happened in that our episodes are actually getting shorter. And it's not that we're bored of the show, it's just that we're actually just getting to spend more time with what they're presenting rather than going, oh crap, we've got four different games to talk about for challenges, three different games in the review section, plus the consultation zone, plus there's a feature on the Saturn. It's a balanced show again something it hasn't realistically been since series two and um, all the better for it as well i think uh i I really really enjoyed this episode um the golf challenge was fun but man that mortal kombat stuff at the end like the second half of the show is all mortal kombat 3 and it is a much better advert for mortal kombat 3 than the entirety of episode one of series three was that it was really really strong i'm in my i'm in the 90s percentage wise for this very easily so what about you oh i'm absolutely in the 90s for this i think i'm at around 93 Mm. oh i had 94 down initially Mm. i think 93 makes more sense but i did have 94 down as my initial thoughts on it because i really enjoyed the second half of it yes this arbitrary number from one to 100 (laughs) makes more sense than one that's one away Uh, you know it it makes more sense written on paper i guess that's good because i didn't write it down (laughs) but that's going to do it for this episode of under consultation thank you all so much for listening you all rule if you want to find this show on social media channels we are on twitter at under console pod on instagram at under console and you can send us a little email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want to interact in real time, you want to chat with us, chat with other fans of Games Master and retro gaming in general, you can do so by joining our Discord, where we have a lovely, lovely bunch of people, including two newcomers at time of recording. We've got Stu Hurt, who's joined us, and superior stevie welcome to our discord we do weekly watch alongs of these games master episodes on a sunday where you can watch the episode that will be in the free feed and then following that the episode that will be for patreon backers as well it's open to absolutely everyone on our discord and where matty boo has been doing a great job of doing these weekly airings of games master and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where at the five pound level you will get next week's episode one week early and ad free and access to all of our extra bonus content like ucp extra which is this show but about other shows from the 80s and 90s and our monthly community show under console nation and at the 10 pound level as you get a little bit extra what do you get well we are finally at the point where the patreon pack 2.0 should be shipping 
around the time you hear this, so certainly within the week or so afterwards, which includes a brand new under consultation golden joystick waggler mug. It is golden. It is not dishwasher safe. Don't put it in a microwave. It will set fire to your house. But you can drink a beverage out of it and hand wash it. And that mug, when it arrives to you, will be filled with retro sweeties, new retro trading cards based around 90s Fox animated TV shows. Something a bit tasty to change it up with. Mm -hmm. And stickers and badges. It'll be a nice little old school retro fun pack. You also get your name read out in the show notes itself, like Xanderthal, William, Tom, S, Simon, Sean, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese, Paul, Nick, Misha, Matty, Boo, Mark, Link, Kevin, Jamie, Harriet, Manga Girl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Cliff, Chrissy Two Sticks, Andrew Cummings, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening to the show, and we will see you in seven days' time for a bit of Virtua Cop. Take care, everyone. Good night. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.